Coming up, I want you to say goodbye to your New Year's resolutions forever. Forever. We'll explain why and how. Now, oh, workers that are optimistic about wellness initiatives in the workplace will break that down. Let's go. All right, welcome to the Ken Coleman Show, where we help you see and reach your potential. New Year's resolutions have never been a thing for me, ever. Uh, and, and I don't think they should be a thing for you either. I really don't. Uh, I, I think as we look at a new year each and every year, if resolutions are always failing, which by the way, the data on New Year's resolutions are just, it's abysmal about how quickly they fail. Um, but as we think about a new year, let's think about a new process, shall we? So you'll never need another New Year's resolution. The idea of every December scurrying to do some self-reflection so that you can hit January with some newfound momentum to me is silly. In fact, it's like taking 365 multivitamins in one day because you missed them all year long. Oh, I didn't get my vitamins this year, so I'm going to overdose on multivitamins. It's ridiculous. The idea that you're going to be healthy the rest of the year because you did that. So why do we think the same about resolutions? Here's the sad part. Most of us only self-reflect when we make our resolutions or when something goes wrong. We don't reflect a lot. We're not intentional when things are going good. We reflect and we get intentional when things start to go bad. It's reactive instead of proactive. But the version of self-reflection that that we use all the time, which is just reactive, 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 reactive. It leaves us overwhelmed and discouraged. And then if you're overwhelmed and discouraged for a long time, guess what happens next? Apathy. You start to go, I can't do anything about it ever again. So I quit thinking about doing something. So let's try something different. I want to teach you a better way of using self-reflection. We're going to talk about how, how, to guarantee that self-reflection is healthy and productive. It must be healthy in order to be productive. You don't want it to be obsessive and responsive to where you're just kind of ruminating and soaking in what went wrong. You can't actually have good perspective in that moment. So you got to decide what in your life is actually worthy of reflection. What should I be thinking about? What should I be monitoring? What should I be measuring? Because you can't reflect on everything. So here's how you can build a habit of self uh, self-reflection throughout the year to where, again, you're just not going to need New Year's resolutions. All right, first, you need to know what healthy sex, uh, healthy, <laughs> there we go. Hey, that's the wrong show. Healthy self-reflection. What is healthy self-reflection? Well, one, it's unbiased. In other words, you got to learn how to be honest with yourself. But then when you doubt that you are being honest with yourself, you got to have some people in your life that you can go, okay, here's what I am saying about myself. Here's what I'm feeling about myself. I, I need you to weigh in. Am I being truly honest with myself? Am I being too difficult? So the idea is, is we want to get to a place where we can be as objective as possible and then have other people surround us when we're not sure how objective we're being. Two, you got to be deliberate. 
you have to be deliberate to say, all right, I'm going to set time for this. I'm going to be very specific. I'm not going to try to measure every area of my life. I'm trying to be very, very specific. Deliberate. Three, you got to be specific. So now that we've we've picked an area and we're we're being deliberate to dive in, now we've got to not be speaking to ourselves in generalities and not just kind of doing these broad brushes, but really digging deep, pulling the onion apart, if you will, peeling the onion, like get it down to the core. Four, you've got to be consistent. This is not an overwhelming process when it's regular. And by the way, this would be the equivalent of trying to start budgeting in your life, budgeting. So, you know, you're never going to get the first budget right. Rarely do you get the second budget right. And I think this process of self-reflection is the same way. We want to get to a point where it's no longer overwhelming, and that's going to take a little bit of time when we just allow ourselves to be specific. So, for instance, I'm going to dig into my physical habits. That's it. I mean, deliberate to spend some time over the next week or two reflecting on where am I winning physically, where am I losing physically? Why? That leads to five. You got to be courageous. You got to recognize that not every single event in your life is worthy of self-reflection. Don't waste a bunch of calories thinking about every little thing. Fun little way that uh, someone taught me years and years ago about marriage. I remember the guy saying to me, look, here's, here's the only tip I'll give you about marriage with Stacy. He said, when you feel like you're about ready to get into an argument with Stacy, or you're feeling like you want to continue and dig in on an argument with Stacy, ask yourself, will this argument matter in five years? <laughs> and boy, isn't that good advice. So before you start to obsess and dive in on something that may have happened at the office today, ask yourself, is this going to matter five years from now? The answer is probably not. And so if it's not going to matter five years from now, I wouldn't spend more than five minutes thinking about it. There's a direct correlation to that. So prioritize surprises, frustrations, failures, and victories. Build a habit of healthy and and, and productive self-reflection. Healthy and productive. So how do we do that? First step, schedule a specific time to reflect at least maybe once a month. Maybe we start out just once a month. And I'd like to see you get to the point where you're doing it once a week. And then eventually, as you develop this muscle and habit, I think you'll start to do it once a day. But specific time. All right, here's what I'm doing. I'm going to reflect. If you wait too long to reflect on an event, then the details get hazy, the emotions kind of wear off, and we're not really able to learn anything from it. Step two, be holistic, but stay focused. There's four categories that I think we should all regularly reflect on. Number one, physical. That's our physical health. My goodness. I'm so guilty of this. And and again, I'm blessed to be healthy. Um, But I could be way better. And if you aren't winning physically, you realize this affects every other area of your life. So physical one, professional two, relational three, spiritual four. I'm not putting those in any order. You get to decide if those even make your list. But I think those four areas, it's a very, very good holistic approach to saying, am I winning? And so here are the questions that you need to ask. And this is a starter reflection kit. Think of this as if I were coaching you, I'd give you these questions. There's four of them. 
And I would tell you to start there. Here they are. So in each area, physical, let's take that as an example. Okay. Where did I win this year physically? So I would go, all right, I started playing pickleball. Uh, Man, it's been great exercise for me. It's been good for me physically. I would say it's been very good to relieve stress. I play with a group of guys every Wednesday night for two hours. Uh, I play many times on the weekend, um, and I enjoy that. You know, so whether it's pickleball or golf, those are physical things that that are there's a win for me. Working out, uh, and so I look at where did I win and why did I win. I just explain the why did I win and why pickleball was great for me. Where did I lose? I didn't work out as much this year. Should have worked out more. Why? Why did I lose there? You know why? Because I didn't make it intentional. I didn't schedule it into my day. I would say to myself maybe one day, and this is what happens to me most days, you know, I should probably work out this afternoon after work. That is very different than saying, I am going to, and I'm going to schedule it. I'm going to put it on the calendar. I'm going to let everybody else know this is what I'm doing. I'm going to put it at a time where there are less opportunities for interruptions. So, That's how we do the, where did I win? Why did I win? Where did I fail? Why did I fail? Now, this is important because the idea of reflection means that I am aware and awareness is a superpower. The more I reflect, the more aware I am, the more aware I am, the more opportunities I have for growth. It's that simple. I cannot maximize my potential if I don't have some measurement in my life to see where I am based on where I want to be. And self-reflection is the key. It's something that you can control and it's something that will allow you to win big. So there's the process. Adopt it this year. Make it yours. Make it better. This is the Ken Coleman Show. Press on. Hey, I want you to stop right now and just listen to this. I want you to imagine life four months from now, but you're actually making a starting salary of $75,000. Bethel Tech has a front-end web development micro-credential that you can earn in just 15 weeks for only $5,000. Coding skills are in high demand right now, and you learn them in less than four months. So whether you want to level up your career and salary or you've always wanted to be in tech, you can get started on Bethel Tech's front-end web development micro-credential or a data science micro-credential, another hot field. Now's the time. Let's go. The next class actually is right around the corner. March 18th is when it starts, and Bethel Tech is going to offer you, as a Ken Coleman Show listener, 10% off. So go to BethelTech.net slash Ken Coleman for details. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Ken Coleman Show. If the show is helping you, we'd love for you to help us. You can do that by liking the videos you're watching on YouTube, subscribing and sharing, and then on your podcast app, a five-star review and a subscription there and a share as well. Thank you so very much for considering that. Okay, so uh, wellness at work. This is an exploding issue. I think you're going to hear more and more of this phrase, this term, and it's, it's important. It's, you know, listen. I've said before, where you work is unbelievably important to the why you work. In other words, you could be in a job that you were absolutely born to do, 
I mean, you're good at it. You love the work. It produces results that matter deeply to you. You're highly motivated, all the things. But you're in a crappy work environment, and it will suck the life out of you, and you will not want to come in anymore. And that creates a lot of confusion because you're going, man, this is freaking awesome. I love the work, but I can't stand anybody else around me, or I can't stand the environment. And so this is important stuff. And so um, let's break this down. The Bentley Gallup Business and Society Report is what we're going to pull from here. And the overall takeaway from this study is that American workers seem to be optimistic, hopeful, uh, around wellness initiatives that are being presented in the study. Now, these are all, in, in many ways, adopted already in the American workforce, some more than others. So basically, they were workers were asked to rate the potential impact of six different wellness initiatives. And the top three, uh, based on extremely and somewhat positive ratings, are four-day work week, 77% said uh, they thought that was a great wellness initiative. Uh, 74% said providing mental health days. And 73% said limiting the amount of work employees are expected to perform outside of work hours. So those were the top three. Now, limiting the number of hours employees expect to work outside the workday and the mental health days got the highest ratings. And I think that's largely because I think a lot of workers don't believe it's going to be very realistic to see a four-day work week anytime soon. And I think that's probably why that's the case. I would almost bet you that if they thought that the four-day work week were far more realistic than it is at this very moment, I think it would be the highest rated option but mental health days are, are essentially another way of saying i've got an additional sick day okay now the 40 hour excuse me the four day work week i want to cover this because again this is the newest of ideas it has been tested extensively we've talked about it a lot on the show uh, this is very interesting um 77 of u.s workers say a four day 40 hour work week so now this is a 10 hour work day and I, I, I think it's one of those things where I think people like the sound of it, but I, 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 I don't know. You know, because here's the deal. You're cramming five days of work, okay, 40 hours, into four days. And you go, well, pff, I get that extra day off. So let's just assume in this, and again, this is not going to be um, uniform this way, but let's just assume in this example that Friday's your your day your, 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 your extra day. So you go, well, man, I, I don't mind. I don't mind putting in 40 hours Monday through Thursday, 10 hours a day. That's no problem. Okay. Well, let's pull back on that just a little bit. Can we scan out? All right now, how many of you really believe you're putting in a full eight hour day? How many of you, you putting in a full eight hour day? I mean, are you working eight full hours? Yeah, some of you are going, I put in way more than every day. Okay, great. Here's my point. It's not as clean as saying, look, if you work your 40 hours in four days, you're good. Because what we're seeing is, watch this, burnout is slightly higher among those working four days per week in the studies that, they were, that they're, they've been doing. So you take people that have been working five days a week, put them into four days a week, and the, the burnout is slightly higher. Why? Because 
they got less time to do it. You say, well, they're putting in the 40 hours. No, they got four days. All the meetings are there. So if efficiencies aren't baked into this, the data saying the burnout is higher. So it's not that clean. But obviously, on-site workers with a four-day work week have higher rates of well-being than their counterparts with five- or six-day work weeks. But engagement's not higher. So leaders are going to have to figure that part out. If we're going to go that route, can we do it well to where people aren't more stressed out? But let's set, let's set the, the environment here and why I'm talking about this. When you look at the well-being data, and we could just call this, if we'd like, happiness. We could call this happiness. The U.S. is in the midst of a happiness crisis. Only 51% of U.S. adults are classified as thriving in Gallup's Life Evaluation Index. So what Gallup has done for many, many years is they have multiple areas by which they they pull people and they pull data that lead to this uh, index. And only 51% of Americans are considered thriving. 5.6% of adults evaluate their lives poorly enough to be considered suffering. This is the highest rate since they started this index in this survey in 2008. Thriving, suffering. So it begs the question, would you consider yourself as thriving? That's on one end. Would you consider yourself as suffering? These are opposite ends of the spectrum. And if you look at the data, so it begs the question, and it's not here in this article in front of me, I need to go dig into this. But if we have 51% say they're thriving, and let's just round up to 6% say they're suffering, then what's in between? Oof. Now you get to pick another adjective. But I think we can all agree, all right, we got 51% say they're thriving, 6% say they're suffering. So that leaves us at 57%. So we now have 43% of Americans that are what? Medicating? Languishing? Distracting? Hibernating? <laughs> Quiet quitting? Folks, you get the point here. We could go on and on and on with going, okay, whoa, what's happening? Now, the reason that I think that's important is because this piece of data, only 25% of American employees strongly agree that their employer cares about their overall well-being. That's stark. You think about how many Americans say they want to be self-employed? That's the numbers are somewhere in the seventy percent range. How many actually are? I mean, actually are self-employed about seven percent. And then you start to look at these numbers. You go, wait a second. Forty-three percent of Americans are just languishing. They're just—they're not thriving. They're not suffering. They're just kind of comfortable zombies. Yes, trying to get by, trying to get distracted, and then twenty-five percent go. My leader actually cares about my well-being. Now, if only 25% of American workers believe that their leader 
cares about their well-being, then that means that those people don't have any hope that their work life can get better. Their only option for improving their life is the changing jobs. So what happens if they change jobs and they find the same thing? So we're talking about millions and millions and millions of Americans who don't believe their leader cares about their life. That sounds stark and awful. It's not. It's true. Imagine spending the majority of your life, which is at work, thinking that the people you're working with or the person who has the greatest impact on your ability to change your life doesn't care about your life. Whoa. This is a massive leadership failure, but equally a leadership opportunity. Leaders, you want to stand out, have the best team, have people flock to work with you. Start treating people in a way where they believe that you care about their life and their life getting better. That's the difference maker. This is the Ken Coleman Show. Welcome back to the Ken Coleman Show. Thrilled to have you with us. Hey, if you're enjoying the show and it's helping you, would you help us grow? You can do that, again, by liking the videos, subscribing and sharing. Same thing on that podcast app that you were listening to the show. All of that helps us grow. Okay, I want to talk about a... uh, It's not an archetype because it's like a real group of people, but I I think it's really fun um, when we look at this because I think this is a massive, massive pain point in the world workplace. This is not an American issue, and that is accidental managers. Accidental managers. Who's the accidental manager? Uh, according to the Chartered Management Institute, CMI, over in the UK, they did a study that found that 82% of new managers are, in fact, accidental managers. Good gracious. Uh, the accidental manager is someone who has been rewarded because of their performance. So they're being promoted. And so they get promoted into a management or leadership role. Minus the actual training. So it's kind of like a parent coming home one day and saying to their kid, Hey, I got you a bike. I got it out of the box and uh, put it together for you. And it's outside in the garage. Have fun, kiddo. Like, what would your kid do with that? Uh, Dad, I don't know how to ride the bike. That's fine. You'll figure it out. I guess there's probably some extreme hardcore parents out there that probably like that idea. But for this example, I don't think it serves very well. And and, and I don't think any parent would ever do that. And I certainly think the kid would just be like, uh, okay. And so let's play this out. So I come home the next day from work and I say to my kid, hey, did you ride your bike today? And the kid goes, "Um, well, I tried. How'd it go? Not very good, dad. I I don't know how to ride a bike. Could you teach me? I'll tell you what. Yes, I'm really busy right now, um, but we'll get to that. 
pretty soon we'll get to that. But you just keep trying. Come home the next day. Hey, did you ride your bike today? Uh, not really. Okay. What happened? Well, I tried, Dad. and Pretty much the same thing I did yesterday. I did today. And it's really scary. I don't know what I'm doing. And I keep wrecking and it hurts. I really, really think it would be great if you taught me something about how to ride the bike. And and I go, okay, you know what? It's a good point. It needs to happen. Uh, I'm really busy right now. See if your mom can do it. And if mom can't do it, I'll tell you what, we'll do it this weekend. Okay, so let's repeat the process. How long before when I come home and I say to my kid, hey, did you ride your bike today? How long before the kid looks at me and goes, no. And I say, really, why not? And the kid looks at me and says, I don't know how to ride a bike. You haven't taught me how to ride a bike. I don't want to ride the bike. How many of you think that that is a reasonable response? That's what's going to happen. So now let's pull back and look at the accidental manager. Hey, Ken, you did a great job. You have been crushing it in this role over here. And I think it's time. I think it's time to promote you. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Uh, And we're going to promote you to a leadership role. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. All right. Maybe I don't want to lead. Now, some people present as though they want to lead, but I'm going to suggest to you that they don't want to lead. Can I suggest to you that what they want is the promotion? They want the pay. They, they want to get the money. They want the status. They want all the things. Okay? But they don't really want to lead. But now they present as though they want to lead. I want to lead. Okay. All right, so now let's take the other group. There are other people, not the ones who say they want to lead and present the lead, but they really want to lead. Then there are people who want to lead. They genuinely want to lead because they love leading and serving, the pressure that comes with that. They want to lead. Awesome. And then there's a third group. And it's the accidental manager. They really don't want to lead. They don't want to lead. But when their leader comes to them and promotes them into a leadership position, what are you going to say? People value their jobs. They value their raise. They value all the things. They're going to, okay. Now, you can still train that person and train all three of those. You can develop all three of those archetypes. But here's what's not happening in the American workplace and in the the global workplace. And this is, again, from a UK study, but I know this is happening in the United States as well. These accidental managers are not trained. They're not equipped to manage people. And as a result, they're not effective. So how does this, this is what's so crazy. High performer, let's reward a high performer. But we put the high performer in a leadership position that we don't train them for, and they become ineffective, then then what happens? People leave them. So it's subtraction by promotion. You ever thought about that? 
We're going to end up hurting the company by promoting a high performer. Why? Because we promoted a high performer into a leadership position, and we don't train them how to do it, and they suck at it, and then people leave underneath of them. Then, by the way, you take a high performer who notices all that, and they start to feel ineffective. You might lose them. So you end up subtracting through promotion, and I think this is a massive problem. One-third of workers in the same study that I've been talking about said they were motivated to do a good job. Um, Excuse me. Of those who had an ineffective manager, the one I'm talking about, you promote somebody into a role, they're not ready for it, they go from high performer to low performer, and the people under them say, look, we're out. We're out. Only a third said they would stay if they had a bad manager. As many as half are considering leaving the next 12 months. Why? Poor management. Here's what I'm saying. We have a management and leadership problem in the global workplace, and it's largely happening because... We are promoting people, but not developing people. Promoting people is the quick fix. Developing people is the long play. Stress-related illnesses is one of the leading causes of workplace absence. Workplace absence is a, is a telltale sign in an organization. I go to an organization, I sit with the leaders, and I talk to them, and they say, look, we got a lot of people missing. We have low engagement. Look, I'm immediately going, okay, we got to figure out what the relationship is like between your managers and your team. It could be one isolated team. I can tell you right now, if engagement is low, if workplace attendance is low, if morale is low, it's an ineffective leader. Now, that doesn't mean that they're a bad person. I have to be careful sometimes I put something like this on a social media and talk about people who go, well, look, I'm a leader. You make it sound like all leaders are bad. No, all leaders aren't bad. Uh, but a bad leader can also be a good person. So this cycle, by the way, of subtraction through promotion perpetuates itself because we don't train and coach up leaders. We don't allow leaders to just be a coach. By the way, you do realize that you don't have to be technically smarter than anybody on your team to be a good leader. In fact, everybody on your team can be way smarter than you. Now, I don't want this role, but but I'm telling you, I could lead a team of tech people. You know why? Because the tech people know all the answers. My job is not to be smarter than all the tech people on the team. My job is to develop and coach them. I coach people from every walk of life all the time. I know nothing about what they do as it relates to true technical acuity and performance. I don't have to know to be able to coach somebody. You could literally take coaches and put them all throughout the organization and they'd be better leaders than the current managers you have. You know why? Because they know how to coach people. They know how to listen. They know how to guide. They know how to encourage. It's the answer. What are we going to do about it? This is the Ken Coleman Show. Thanks for listening to The Ken Coleman Show. For more, you can find the show on demand wherever you listen to podcasts and watch the show on YouTube. You can also find Ken across all social media by following at Ken Coleman.